Welcome back to Navigating the Book of Navigation, the undergraduate-produced podcast series at Boston College. My name is Gage Higgins, and I'll be introducing this episode today. All knowledge is power, and in the early modern period, geographical knowledge was a direct instrument of power. The preoccupation of pre-modern empires was territorial expansion. Maps indicated what territories had been conquered and offered invitations for conquest. In this episode, Griffin, Jennifer, Salim, and Suhana will show us how the representations of Venice and Cairo differed significantly from that of Marseille with respect to the geopolitical situation of the time. Thus, Piri Reis's maps were crucial not only for their practical seafaring expertise, but also important as they presented the Sultan with a comprehensive view of his potential adversaries in the Mediterranean. The Book of Navigation can be seen, from one perspective, as an atlas of military intelligence, not just aesthetically pleasing informational maps. Salim, man, the dishes are looking like Mount Everest in there. Can you... Dude, are you still reading that book? And what about it? What even is it? You haven't gotten up for like five hours. Oh, Suhana, you have to check this out. It's called Kitab Bahriya. It's nuts. It was written by this guy, this Ottoman explorer, Pirides, and it's got all this stuff about the cities of the Mediterranean, and it shows you how the Ottoman Sultan felt about them at the time, too. And um. Wait, wait, slow down. I can see how invested you are, so I'm sure it's cool. But I'm new to all this. The only Ottoman I know much about is the one in the living room. Who's this Piri Reis guy? Uh, fair enough. I mean, let me tell you the story of Piri Reis, the greatest Ottoman explorer that ever sailed the Mediterranean. Oh, wow. Safe to say, Piri Reis had navigation in his blood. Growing up, he evolved in the footsteps of his seafaring uncle and got into privateering across the Mediterranean Sea. Privateering? That sounds intense. Did he catch any flack from the Ottoman government, or what? On the contrary, my friend. The Sultan was actually sponsoring it. See, the 16th century was an interesting time for the Ottoman Empire. I'll get into this a bit later, but suffice to say, they were very interested in projecting their influence on the rest of the Mediterranean. Makes sense. I mean, they were an empire, right? And an empire definitely wants to know what's happening outside its borders. Exactly. As it turns out, Peter Deis was just the guy to find out. He was finishing the details of his magnum opus, Iktabu Bahriyeh. The Book of Navigation. Oh, well, that's fitting. So that's what you're reading, huh? Indeed it is. What's in it? Well, it's what's called a portolan, a collection of charts that map out important information of other sailors. There's all kinds of details about different ports and geographical features and whatever else you need to know if you were living on a boat for like a long period of time. So it must have been really helpful for sailors, huh? Very, but what I think is really interesting is how Peter Dace describes the city. Is it really, like, technical? No, not, not at all, actually. That's what's so cool about it. He gets really into describing some of the cities in the book, like their history, their culture, their religion, and it tells you a lot about what the Ottoman Empire was like at the time, too. Interesting. Why include that, though? That doesn't sound like it would be very useful for sailors, unless they were planning on living there for a bit, I guess. Well, this whole time, Peter Reis actually had another audience in mind, too. Not just the sailors, but Suleiman, the Ottoman Empire's sultan. Oh, wow. Why was Suleiman a primary audience for Piri Reis? Well, Suleiman, also refers to as Suleiman the Magnificent in English, and Kalunu Sultan Suleiman in Turkish, 
ruled the Ottoman Empire from 1520 to 1566, and it was under his rule that the empire reached its greatest extent. Gotcha, that makes sense. Sorry for the interruption, let's get back to the main point. So, you said he talked a lot about cities? Which ones specifically? There are two big cities that Pirates mentions in detail, Venice and Cairo. Let's talk about Venice first. The Ottomans and Venice were major rivals at the time, right? Hmm. And here I thought he didn't know anything about the Ottomans. The Ottomans, no, but Venice? I'm practically an expert. Wow, how convenient. Maybe you can help me talk through this. In Pirates' eyes, Venice was a whole lot more than support. The Book of Navigation almost makes it seem like he has a love-hate relationship with the city. Right, okay, that makes sense. Maybe we should start off by giving the audience a brief background on Venice. Oh yeah, that sounds good. From my knowledge, Venice was a city made up of hundreds of islands. But as a pedestrian walking around, you can't help but feel that the city is basically a collection of floating buildings tied together by its famous canals. It was quite literally built for seafaring commerce. The Venetians had a big problem, though. As you can imagine, they didn't have a lot of natural resources. If they wanted to expand and grow, they had to rely on trade. And that's where the Ottomans come in. The Venetian and Ottoman empires were close trading partners throughout the 15th and 16th centuries. They provided each other with access to key ports and valuable goods. After the Ottomans captured Egypt, they pretty much controlled the flow of trade through the Mediterranean. But the Venetians had centuries of experience as mariners and had also a lot of ships. Essentially, the Venetians did all of the actual trading and carrying of goods And the Ottomans just made their money from taxes, which is genius, if you ask me. And that worked because both Venice and the Ottoman Empire added value to each other. Exactly. At the same time, though, it was complicated. As the two empires vied for naval power in the Mediterranean, they became inevitable rivals. After the Ottomans captured Constantinople in 1453, they kept expanding into the Balkans, while Venice started annexing more and more territory in the Aegean Sea. They ended up fighting a short-lived war in the late 15th century. Safe to say, by the time Piri Reis was writing the Kitabi Barrier, Venice and the Ottomans were a little too close for comfort. Okay, uh, so like, you were definitely just lying about not knowing anything about the Ottomans. Hey, well, you're the one with the book. Alright, alright, well, read this. The details are nuts. Piri gets into the geography of the city, you know, the fundamentals, but right after that, he starts talking about the city's, like, religious history. He calls the Venetians infidels, but takes special care in documenting their city's creation myth and its relationship to Christianity as a whole. For someone with so much at stake against Venice as Pirides, he seems kind of fascinated by it. That's very interesting. Yes, uh, Pirides gets into all of that. He starts off describing Venice's geography. He says it's within a lagoon that is everywhere filled with buildings rising on land and from out of the sea. In some places the sea is shallow and in others it is deep. In the shallow places, they have driven piles on which they have built their city. Yep, that sounds like Venice, all right. Check out this religious stuff, though. He has this whole paragraph where he describes the founding of Venice and the story of St. Mark, or as he calls him, San Marco. He says, The Venetians came to this decision. In Escandidia, as Alexandria, was buried a person by the name of San Marco. The prophet, peace be upon him, had twelve companions, and these are called apostles by the infidel seamen. One of the apostles was Santa Marco. Huh? Yeah, okay, that adds up so far. He continues, They stole this Marco from Iskandidia, and placing him in a chest, smuggled him out of the castle saying it was pork, and they brought him to the city of Venedi, where they buried him in a tomb over which they have built a church. Right, St. Mark's Basilica, that's still there. 
Ever since then, he says, they have taken pride in this Marco, the treasure of Marco, the castle of Marco, the ships of Marco. But other infidels despise the Venetians and say that they are not but fishermen. Ha! Huh. Not but fishermen? That's brutal. It is interesting, though. I get what you're saying. It seems like Piri Reis took a pretty holistic approach to describing Venice. No pun intended. Like, besides calling them infidel seamen, it's all pretty respectful and detailed. Yeah, right. And even the infidel thing is understandable given the context. For sure. What, uh, what else does he say about Venice? Let's see. There's one part where he says that the Venetians called their leaders dozy since they were the head of the 12 nobles. Ha. Huh. Oh, that's funny. Does that hold up? No. Well, so he was thinking of the word doze. And he got that right since that was the Venetian term for the chief magistrate of the Republic of Venice. That's doge in English today. The etymology is wrong, though. It's related to the Latin word dux, meaning leader. I like where he was going with it, though. All right, that's interesting. Again, though, like, even though he was wrong, that still goes to show the level of detail Peter Reis was willing to put in about the Venetians. If the Ottomans wanted nothing to do with Venice, would he have put in a whole thing about the etymology of what they call the leader? Probably not. Definitely, yeah. That makes sense. All right, but if this is a book of navigation, I bet the maps look really spiffy, right? Oh, man, I can't even believe we haven't even gotten the maps yet. Enlighten me, Salim. Venice is a prime example. Here, let me see. Um, There. Wow. That's Venice. What do you notice at first? Oh, well, okay. The colors really stand out to me. They're so vivid. The lagoon is drawn in the soothing, like, matted blue color with all these individually detailed waves. It's almost kind of looks like hair. Oh, uh, wow, yeah, I, I kind of see it. The city itself is drawn in painstaking detail but you can still tell it's a figurative portrayal, you know? Each house is drawn in, and the Piazza San Marco... Oh, wait, is that the flat area in the center there of the people? Yeah, that's the Piazza San Marco, St. Mark's Square. That's still there today, too. And he really, like, blew up the scale there. It looks huge. Like you said, he drew in all the people running around down there, and the gold-plated roofs and the basilica right in the middle of the map. This goes so far beyond just a navigational tool. To some extent, Piri Reis was really trying to capture what Venice was like at the time. You're right. That's incredible. So you mentioned earlier that one of Piri Reis's main audiences was... Suleiman, yes. You can really see through all this. All the stuff that Piri Reis chooses to write about, the little detail in the maps, all that. Just how complicated the relationship between Venice and the Ottoman Empire was. The Ottoman Empire was just starting to really assert their naval power across the Mediterranean. And as much as Suleiman saw a rival in Venice, it was clear that he knew what he was doing and there was something to learn from them too. Very interesting. And we have to remember that Pirates was an explorer first and foremost. He wrote a lot about his travels and the places he wanted to visit and all that. I'm sure he was fascinated by Venice in his own right. He must have been eating this up. Hey, what are you guys doing there? It's so loud. Oh, hey, Jen. We're just having one of our daily academic discussions about the history of the Ottoman Empire. You know, it's in the roommate agreement. Oh yeah, fair enough. Well, what are you guys getting into today? Do you know about the Kitab al-Bahriya, the Book of Navigation? It sounds familiar. Is that the Portolan by Piri Reis? That's the one. We're talking about how the book describes Venice right now, because it was one of the two major cities that it really gets into detail. Interesting. Well, if you ever end up actually talking about Cairo, you know who to call. You're not gonna believe <gasps> this. Yeah, the other big city is Cairo. Are you a fan? 
a fan, Cairo's my bread and butter Salim. I'll literally tell you anything you need to know, and I mean, that city plays a pretty important part in Ottoman history. Wait, I didn't know there was so many Ottoman history experts in this room. I wouldn't say expert, but I think, yeah, I know a few things. We're just finishing with our discussion on Venice's relationship with Ottomans. Do you want to start us off with whatever you know about Cairo's history? Yeah, of course. Well, to start off, we know that the Mamluks were the last to reign over Cairo because by the beginning of the 16th century, the political infighting among them over like positions of power have really weakened the city's actual government so much that a threat from outside could easily finish them off. And the Ottoman Turks would prove to be this great threat. While the Mamluks were causing chaos, the Ottoman Turks were busy building their powerful force. And eventually, the Ottoman forces, led by Selim I, went into Syria and had this huge battle ensued between the Ottomans and the Mamluks. And as you can imagine, the Mamluks suffered heavy losses. And when Selim's armies finally arrived at the gates of Cairo, Mamluk forces, too weak to really just stop the invasion, were defeated by the Ottomans. Damn, was that defeat brutal? I know Selim was known for his desire to display his might. And for his desire to leave the dishes the sink. Hey, we talked about that. For sure, the Ottomans plundered the city and literally took everything of value back to Istanbul, which really left Cairo as a small town with leaders who reported directly to a sultan that was so far away and basically spoke an entirely different language. The Mamluks continued to serve the sultan in Istanbul, just as they had served the Mamluk sultan, however. That's some intense stuff. It's pretty interesting that things were sort of business as usual after the Ottoman Sultan took over. Selim, what does Piri Reis have to say about it? So, it's interesting actually. Piri Reis doesn't get into Cairo's history with anywhere near the amount of detail he uses with Venice. He describes it as just another place along the Nile, basically. But the map he uses, I mean, it speaks for itself. Look at this. Oh wow, yeah, that's Cairo alright. What stands out to you? The detail's nuts. The first thing that really stands out to me is those huge boats. It looks like Piri Reis really wanted to show them off. I'll say. But yeah, the city itself, I mean, it's rich with detail. Every individual house is drawn in, and the mosques are a particular highlight. Their golden domes stand out like islands in a sea of houses, really punctuating the city. And I'm going to go ahead and guess that Piri Reis really want to capture the religious significance of Cairo, too. You know what? I think you're right. Yeah, the surrounding area is so beautiful too though. Even outside the city, there's that magnificent forest of trees, the rolling green hills up there, and the pyramids. It's pretty amazing. To say it's just a map of Cairo is so reductive, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at it for a while. Yeah, now I will say, one thing that really stands out immediately is, you see that compass rose over there? Oh yeah, um, south is up on this map, right? That's right, yeah, it's oriented towards the south, and do you know why? Is that because the Nile River flows? South and north, yeah. And that was typical of a lot of maps of this area for many, many years. And it's interesting that he really arranged it in that way, though. Very cool. I'm learning a lot. It all seems to add up, though. I mean, his description of Cairo is pretty magnificent. And that all plays into what Ottomans were trying to convey about themselves at the time. Here's this massive, beautiful Muslim city. Here's these palaces. Here are these beautiful ships. I mean, it's all ours. Ha, huh, yeah, I think it's exactly that. Hey, why is everyone in here? I want to join in on whatever's going on. Oh, hey, Griffin. We're just discussing some of the major cities the Ottoman Empire came into contact with. That's sick. Hey, have you talked about Marseille yet? From what I can remember, Marseille was a major city with connections to the Ottoman Empire. No, we were actually just finishing our discussion on Cairo. Do you want to join and tell us about Marseille a bit? All right, so right off the bat, Marseille is old. It's been around for millennia. And you know, you're talking about these big cities right by the Mediterranean, Venice, Istanbul, Cairo. Marseille fits right in there. It's been a major Mediterranean port for ages. That said, though, it's had a pretty tumultuous history, during Piri Reis' time. Wait, how'd you know we were talking about Piri Reis? Oh, I was just, you know, listening through the wall. You really need some more hobbies, man. 
well, okay. So during Peter de Hesse's time, Marseille was kind of on the upswing. It was already part of the Kingdom of France at this point. In a few decades' time, it would prove to be a crucial part of the Franco-Ottoman alliance, but, well, we're not there yet. Spoilers! Hey, I mean, maybe there's some foreshadowing. What does Peter de Hesse have to say about it? I've got some bad news for you, Griffin. He doesn't say much at all. Really? Well, okay, so it's interesting. Actually, how little he says about Marseille compared to, like, Venice or Cairo, that tells us a lot. Don't get me wrong, he gets in depth, but there's none of those deep cultural or like religious details that he throws in about Venice. He mostly talks about the geography of the area. Here, you know what? I'll read you the whole thing. The city of Marsilia. Marsilia, that's Marseille, I'm guessing. Yeah, um, it is. So Marsilia is a royal commercial seaport of the country of France. Whenever it should happen that soldiers depart from the country of France overseas in ships, they always muster in this city and set forth from there. This place has been a possession of the crown of France since ancient times, and in fact, it is situated in the middle of the country of France, end quote. Wow, that's it? No, I mean, well, there's like several full pages about Marseille after that, but it's not really about Marseille. It's all the logistical stuff, where the islands are, where the safe havens are. I mean, there's some cool etymological stuff going on, because he uses these Ottoman Turkified transliterations of Middle French toponyms. Duyu, Firata, Galine, that sort of thing. That's neat, but those three sentences I read to you, that's like about all he says about the city's history. That's too bad. I mean, like you said, though, that's still interesting. Is there a map or anything? There is, there is, um, uh, right there. And you know, it's cool. I'm not going to discount it, but it's pretty bare bones compared to Venice or Cairo, and especially given how big Marseille was too. Oh, wow, yeah, dang. I mean, the coast outlined in red and gold is cool. Those compass roses are decorated really well, but yeah, it's pretty minimal, I guess. Marseille is just a dinky little village, it looks like. How about that flag? Do you recognize it? Yeah, yeah, it's a slight variation on the royal banner of France at the time. Those black symbols, you see the three kind of like trident-looking things on the flag? Mm, sure. Yeah, so those are fleurs de lys. Uh, they were a symbol of French royalty. They still are, actually. So that adds up. It's quite interesting, though. Whereas Cairo had all these details inside the city, outside the city, the natural features, all of that, basically. The map of Marseille is, like, barren in comparison. Well, now you're just rubbing it in. I mean, it's true, though. I think... What this tells us is that the Ottoman Empire wasn't so preoccupied with Marseille in the same way it was with Venice or Cairo. And given what you told us about the foreshadowing, that makes sense. Marseille was just a place where you just could put boats, and that was all the Solon was probably need to hear. That does make sense, yeah. It was probably pretty economical for Peter East to really focus on the places that might have posed a threat to the Ottoman Empire, or, well, the ones that they could show off. For my own sake, though, I'd like to think that Peter East would have gotten a kick out of Marseille at the time. You keep thinking that. I'll take the reins and see if I can sum this up. The Kitabu Bahriya. The Book of Navigation is a lot more than just a portal or a guide for sailors, or whatever you want to call it. It's got some in-depth descriptions of the cities, and those descriptions tell us a lot about the Ottoman Empire at the time. Through the lens of what Pirides thought the Sultan would have wanted to hear, the depiction of Venice as a spectacular yet infidel city conveys how intimidated by Suleiman was, and that he wanted to know as much as, about it as he could. Cairo was shown as this jewel of the Nile and bastion of Islam, and by association, the, at the Ottoman Empire was a, a strong Islamic empire by virtue of controlling it. And then there's Marseille, which Peter Reis doesn't get into uh, a lot of detail. And that shows us that that's not where the Ottomans' priorities were at the time. Beautiful. I love it, Slim. Yeah, man, this was great. Thanks for having us. Totally. Of course, guys. Ottoman history is always a pleasure. I'm going to go listen to some more podcasts. Catch you in a bit. See you, dude. Salim, the dishes! Uh,